when you graduate, lots of people are going to be chasing the same opportunities. There's nothing wrong with keeping your eye on the prize. In fact, if you don't, you get left behind. You know, I'm just saying never be ashamed of attention as long as you've earned it. Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah, and today we're talking about High School Musical 2. Well, you know them from High School Musical. <laughs> you know them from East High. It's the Wildcats! <laughs> this time in swimwear with twice the desert and serving desserts. Will our favorite <laughs> basketball players play basketball? The answer might shock you. <laughs> that was something. I love how weird introductions have become a tradition for this series. <laughs> High School Musical 2 was released in 2007 and directed, of course, by none other than Kenny Ortega, who did Hocus Pocus, Dirty Dancing, and all the other High School Musical movies. As for why we're discussing this movie, High School Musical 2 actually has an impressive Rotten Tomatoes score of 83%, which is actually the highest rating among the three movies. But looking at the reviews, there seems to be a recurring impression that while it might be good enough entertainment entertainment for kids, ultimately it's not much more than a money-making scheme for Disney. Hollywood Reporter, for example, mentions Disney coffers swelling, and Newsday called the movie good enough for the kids, clean enough for the parents, and profitable enough for a Disney product. And some of the harshest critique I could find is from Orange County Register, which suggested that instead of a soul, quote, there's nothing more than the contrived emotionless plastic of a well-oiled money-making machine. So in this episode, we set out to investigate if critics are missing the true merits of this movie or whether it's yet another unnecessary superficial sequel. The review I found was a little nicer. <laughs> I'll bet. Pretty accurate, I would say. It's from the Los Angeles Times and they said, High School Musical 2 is zippier, bouncier, prettier, more soulful, and even more musical than its predecessor. And that's saying something. And I completely agree. They even mentioned the soul. <laughs> Do you agree that it's more High School Musical than even the first one? It's a little bit difficult to say because I think the predominant opinion is that the second movie is the best out of all three. Or at least it's really? better than the first one. I think that's the predominant opinion. Or maybe I'm just basing it on seeing one video that was titled High School Musical 2 is <laughs> the best one. <laughs> but I personally think the first movie is peak High School Musical. Like it's the essence of High School Musical. I don't know if you can get more High School Musical than that. But aside from that, I do agree that it's more everything else. Like it's a better quality production. It's more colorful. It's more songs. <laughs> but yeah, overall, I agree. The review you found much more than the ones that I mentioned. Yeah, and it actually pretty much reflects my personal opinion of the movie. Although I will say when I was younger, I don't know that I felt that way. For some reason, the second one, to me, it felt like almost detached from High School Musical. Like, for some reason, Kid Me really related High School Musical with East High and seeing them not at the school and, like, in this really different place just made it seem like such a different movie. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I was obsessed with this movie, but I wasn't like, it's the peak <laughs> of cinema. I have since then repented. And <laughs> now I think it's the best High School Musical movie. I think it's the best movie, period. <laughs> Sorry to Barbie as the Princess of the Popper. No. I, I think it's a very good movie. It's very solid and 
end. I think it's better than the first one. Now that you mention it, it does seem kind of detached because it's called High School Musical, but there's very little high school in it. <laughs> it's more like a summer holiday special or something. Yeah. But yeah, like I mentioned, I personally don't think it's the best out of all the three movies. And maybe my initial experience with the movie has something to do with it because if I can describe it in one word, I would say confusion <laughs> was the predominant feeling I associated with this movie when I first watched it. There's so much going on. There is. Lots of colors. Lots of colors. <laughs> explain it i don't think i was too young when i watched it maybe i was just too dumb just the whole thing about what is a country club i was not familiar with that concept when i was younger so i was very confused like it's a very nuanced situation with sharpay's parents owning the place and sharpay bossing around her peers now that i look at it in an informed way it's a lot more interesting and it makes a lot more sense than it did for me as a kid yeah i also i think did not get the whole country club thing they're very much like touching on a lot of issues with like class differences and it's just specific to the culture of like the American middle class I guess which was also very <laughs> unfamiliar <laughs> to me and so I did not get it as a kid. I think potentially that's why the first movie felt not more relatable but it was set in a more universal setting. The average viewer can relate to that but this movie seems a little bit more steeped in a very specific culture and environment which i do like yeah i mean that has its own merits it's just confusing for some people yeah. okay <laughs> so we will be discussing this movie in chronological order as usual and we start with the clock the giant <laughs> clock looming over all of us really the clock that is life <laughs> But it's basically the last day of school. It starts with shots of the school empty and how it was actually at the end of the first movie. And it feels like coming back home. That's a nice way to put it. And it did feel like a nice nod to where the franchise was born. To me, it feels like the creators are obviously very aware that this movie is even is much flashier and much more, you know, much more than the first one was. But it's like a reminder that they're still honoring where they first started. Yeah. No matter where you're going, starts it where you are. <laughs> to quote every day. Oh. <laughs> it's a good song. You'll see. <laughs> Okay, so when I was younger, I somehow didn't notice the clock getting bigger behind Miss Darbus. <laughs> but this time, actually paying attention, I really like how it's steadily growing bigger and how the ticking is incorporated into the buildup for what time is it. I do love the giant clock. To me, that is the first thing I think about with High School Musical too. I don't know why. To be fair, time and the present and the future are a very big theme in the movie. And even before they show the shots of the empty school, the first shot we get is of a clock on the outside of the building so it is a very palpable presence throughout the movie yeah but they do finally sing <laughs> i really like this number i like how it's written as a musical number as is all of them so i'll just get this out of the way they're all very well written musical numbers in the sense that they're tied to the narrative for example Gabriella talks about how she's not moving on this summer in the song the way she usually does, you know, to a different school. Yeah. 
Gotta love the exposition. <laughs> yeah, so we get these tidbits of the characters and the, their backgrounds in the song. And it's still very catchy and just... It's also great for just establishing the characters because we immediately get to see how each of the main players exist within the ensemble, like within the ecosystem of East High. Even though, you know, we're not going to be in East High, they do still have the same function later on. So it's also just a great introduction to these characters. I agree. I personally love how the song is a celebration of such specific things when it comes to being a high school student. Right. Stuff like not having to wake up early and anticipating a whole summer to do whatever you want to do. It's like a student's fantasy encapsulated in the song and it immediately sets a particular tone which is then very starkly contrasted by the conversation that Troy has with his friends right after the song ends. And I think that's basically setting up the main conflict for these characters for this movie. They're trying to balance living in the moment and having fun and enjoying their youth versus also thinking about the impending future. And it's very specific to this time in their lives as well, like junior year, I guess. Yeah. They do have a more intricate choreography this time around and more intricate just staging, I guess. I mean, we talked about the choreography in the previous movie and by that, I mean, even within scenes with dialogue, not necessarily musical scenes, but when they do do a musical number, a lot of it is just like on stage. Yes, you're right. And here, that's not the case. So this first number is telling of how the rest of the movie is going to be. That's a very big difference from the first movie. The settings are much more varied for the musical numbers, I mean. So we get this conversation between all of our characters, mostly about needing jobs over the summer. And Troy's talking about how he needs to save up for college and Chad talks about wanting to save up for a car. <laughs> but the one who does get a job right off the bat is Kelsey because Sharpay offers her a job at the Lava Springs Resort. That's the country club that she spends her summers at and she offers Kelsey a pianist role. It goes to show, I guess that what Sharpay wants, Sharpay gets. <laughs> <laughs> True. The fact that she's just allowed to hire people also. I mean, I'm sure we've mentioned it, but Lava Springs is owned by her parents. But it seems like even apart from this whole scheme with Troy, she has in the past and currently used her power to affect things at Lava Springs. It's not like this is a new thing. She has been, you know, meddling with employment at Lava Springs for a long time. Like there's that background for her to be able to do what she does within this movie. So we see Troy and the Wildcats and the coach at his house when he gets a call and it's from Mr. Fulton. And I have to say, I cannot believe Troy like tries to get his girlfriend a job when talking to an employee. I'm like, I can't really imagine in what scenario anyone would do this. I don't think he's being rude. I'm just like, what is he doing? <laughs> Good for him, I guess. I agree. It doesn't seem like anything that could realistically happen. Yeah. It seems lucky that Sharpay pulled strings to have Fulton hire Troy, quote, no matter what, because I think that's the only reason he agrees for Gabriella and the rest of Troy's friends to get these jobs. I even in the phone call he only mentions Gabriella, but it ends up being the Wildcats. And like Fulton is only hiring these extra people because no matter what. So I'm like, was Troy like mentioning Gabriella? And then Mr. Fulton was like, I guess. And then he's like, oh my god, I think I, I should ask for more. You know, like there's a whole negotiation where he's like, what about Chad Danforth? And he's like, sure. And he's like, um, Jason, Jason's good. <laughs> Just one by one by one. 
Yeah. Troy, <laughs> Troy's like, wow, that was so easy. I never yeah. knew you could just do that. I would have loved to hear that conversation. Right. <laughs> Mr. Fulton's just sitting there sweating. Like, how many positions do I have to invent for these extra people? How many people do I have to fire? Oh, no. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> For now, let's talk about Sharpie and Ryan arriving at Lava Springs in style. <laughs> yes. I have to say, I love the shot where we see Sharpay's car driving through the desert. I love the contrast of her car and just her entire appearance against the arid landscape and the unnatural colors against all the earthy tones. And we've already talked about the colors, <laughs> but I wanted to bring it up again in the context of the country club because compared to the desert landscape the colors in the country club are really bright the bright blue of the pool and the grass of the golf course which you know does speak to the amount of wealth behind this whole thing yeah well we just learned some tidbits about the talent show that happens at the end of the summer basically we find out that sharpie is the reason why troy was offered the job but yeah we see her by the pool and she talks about the talent show with her cronies <laughs> <laughs> she says like the theme of the talent show is redemption and i really like that it's fitting with even fabulous the song which isn't apparent maybe but fabulous the song is about you know out with the old in with the new it's starting over it's trying to refresh because She's talking about how like she's had a hard year and this whole time she's like trying to get back on top from what happened in the first movie. And I think the theme of redemption is also pretty fitting for some of the other characters as well. But it's definitely something that is following Sharpay throughout this movie, at least. And we see this at multiple points too, where later on she's talking to Ryan while she's spying on Gabriella and Troy, and she's saying, we're on our turf now. So she's like constantly looking for solid ground because what happened in the first movie was so like unfamiliar to her, and she's always gotten what she wanted and everything. And just this small, like, change the small thing that she can't control in the first movie has kind of destabilized her and so for the summer she's looking for something familiar and lava springs as we see from the very 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 first moment that she arrives everything is as she wants like people are catering to her she has control of every little minute detail and throughout the movie you see that all she's doing is trying to like control things to go her way because for the first time ever in the last movie she didn't have that you're right when you put it that way the drama department Department is a symbol for her losing control of things for the first time. So yeah, in that sense, it does make a lot of sense that she would retaliate, especially because yeah, they are in a place that I assume is essentially home for her. Yeah. So this is where we get our next musical number, which is fabulous. Can we talk about the pianist for a second? <laughs> I still don't know. As a kid, I thought it was Ryan, and then I realized it wasn't Ryan, and then I was like, wait, that is Ryan later on. Every time I'm convinced it must be Ryan playing the piano, they show a shot of Ryan doing something else. I assume this just like like a music video thing where it's like... Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's Ryan, and if it's not Ryan, it's his secret twin brother. They have a secret third sibling. That must be the only conclusion. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I think this song is one of the moments where it hit me how different this movie is compared to the first one. Specifically this one part where we get a shot of what looks like Sharpay floating around inside 
her drink. I really love that. It's like they're equating that pool to the drink she ordered. And it's like, it's her property, her world, and everyone is just living in it. And I love it so much. It's so fun. <laughs> it's different than anything we see in the first movie. Yeah, they play around with staging and production. And clearly they have a bigger budget this time. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about the pool thing. I was more focused on the fact that it's supposed to be synchronized swimming. I really liked the synchronized swimming as well, especially because they have Sharpay's followers do it. I think it sums up their dynamic really well, the leader and the followers who basically perform a choreographed routine. I also really like the contrast of Sharpay and her, very much non-swimming swimwear. <laughs> it's very like impractical for swimming, surrounded by the synchronized swimmers and like swim caps and very traditional swimming attire, almost like people in like the 20th century i just really like that visual i guess there's definitely class undertones there as well oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the song we see troy saunter in slow motion <laughs> unfortunately he is followed by the rest of the wildcats and troy is so dumb he's like wait are you a member here <laughs> He doesn't know anything. He's so stupid. He is. We stand him, okay? We're all for himbo rights. Himbo. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Sharpay, in her anger, turns to Fulton, who in turn refers her to the board, i.e. her parents, i.e. her mom. I love this so much. I just really like seeing her with her family and specifically with Ryan and her mom and seeing that when you put her in that context, it's a very different look at Sharpay than it is when you see her within East High. So seeing her mom not catering to her the way like everybody else is and the fact that she's the odd one out when it's the three of them and it seems like Ryan has more power when it comes to communicating with her mom which is such an opposite to other times we see Sharpay and Ryan as a duo I think it's really interesting and the mom talks about like how these people are your friends and like clearly <laughs> <laughs> not understanding the dynamics present and it's just a very like mom thing as well I don't know I just really like the whole thing yeah you're right it's very interesting to explore how the power dynamics change and especially the way she's talking to her mom when her mom is doing yoga, it kind of reminded me of the rock climbing scene from The Princess Diaries where they use levels to reflect what's going on in the conversation. In this scene, you can see how they're physically not on the same level because the moment Sharpay stoops to talk to her mom face to face, her mom stands up again. And you can definitely see that she has less of a say with her mom than with Fulton and with, you know, people at her school. And it's interesting to see how she navigates that. Yeah, it's also interesting how the mom navigates it. She's kind of just like not engaging with the way that Sharpay interacts with the world. To me, it doesn't even feel like the mom is dealing with it in a way that a parent would. When you contrast the way Sharpay talks to Fulton and then Fulton refers her to her mom, it's almost like the boss talking to the employee is suddenly talking to their boss. Like It's like a helpless employee complaining to their boss about something they don't like and kind of being dismissed about it. Sharpay's only solution is to tell Fulton that if you can't fire them, then make them want to quit, which is a very unethical thing to do as an employer, <laughs> which will keep seeing this whole movie <laughs> it's a long list <laughs> however despite this whole thing fulton's way of 
quote unquote making them want to quit and what the movie I guess is suggesting what he's doing is just him tasking them with their jobs <laughs> and I think the scene is such a failure like Fulton should have been just mean because he is at some points later so like just make him mean but here he's just giving them their jobs but Chad seems super surprised about his job and I just don't know what they expected like what were they told they were gonna do yeah when they react like this to being given basic tasks I don't know what it is <laughs> they were expecting they also keep comparing this experience to school you know how they prefer detention with Miss Darbus and Chad says in Work This Out which is the next musical number that he would rather face a seven footer it's that childish feeling of wanting the payoff as soon as possible without doing the hard work leading up to it and it's annoying to some extent watching it as a grown-up but I, <laughs> I understand they're high school kids so it makes sense but honestly it seems like a really amazing job that yeah. they have so I don't think they should complain <laughs> personally i was less annoyed and more just confused like i feel like it's just a failure in the writing the only kind of mean thing fulton does is scolding gabriella about her lunch break but that's it yeah but let's talk about work this out just a little detail that i really liked was the fact that troy's choreo his dancing spreads throughout the group slowly as they start agreeing with troy while well, we see martha start dancing and then she stops but gabriella is the first one to follow for any significant length of time and you see that she's the person who is most on troy's side at this point and then everybody else does as well but chad does it for a little bit and then walks away and here we already see them starting to become at odds as you know partners and and I really like how that's employed in this song and in this choreography. Isn't there also a part where one of them trips the other? Yeah. <laughs> I also really like how their back and forth is reflected in their physicality. But yeah, after this, Troy sneaks Gabriella out to the golf course for a little picnic, which soon goes downhill because... Fulton catches up to them. <laughs> they should not be there. I was so <laughs> incensed. I'm like, Troy, you are getting yourself and Gabriella in trouble. Also, like, it's a golf course. Aren't you scared you're going to get, like, whacked in the head with a golf ball? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Can you imagine if we did get whacked on the head with a golf ball and the rest of the movie is just a wild dream? But... Yeah, that risk aside, Tori and Gabriella talk about their concerns for the future. And I really like how they confide in each other. It's a continuation of the friendship they built in the first movie and makes their relationship so much more believable. Yeah, I really like the scene as well. They're talking about, you know, college and scholarships. And I think Gabriella expresses some faith in him because of his basketball career and he says I'm only as good as whatever happens next season which is very similar to how Troy feels in the first movie where he was talking about how people only like me as much as you know how well I do in the in the last game or in the next game or whatever I really like how that thread is still there but this is contrasted by Gabriella's want for remembering the summer and like live for the now and blah 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 which I think they do less of a good job of like establishing why she feels this way like, I don't really know what is driving this want for her, this desire. I can guess. Like, I have a feeling it's to do with, like, the fact that she's never been able to do anything like this because she's always been moving and this is, like, her first real summer with friends and making memories and all of that. But I don't know that they explicitly establish 
accomplish that with any like solid foundation in this movie. Yeah, you're right. If Troy and Gabriella were the main characters in the first movie, I think Troy is very much our protagonist in this one. So we don't really get that much background or development on Gabriella beyond what you just said. <laughs> and I don't know how to feel about it, I guess. I mean, it would be nice to get that same kind of insight into her character that we do with Troy, but now that I think about it, maybe we had a similar complaint in the first movie as well, that Gabriella didn't seem as well-developed as Troy. Yeah, right. I completely forgot about that. I think especially in this movie, though, it's almost like we don't even get that much of her. Like, she feels more like a part of the Wildcats than she does her own entity. And I really do like seeing Gabriella as part of the Wildcats without Troy. Like, that was one of the highlights of the movie for me, but there's not that much Troy and Gabriella. Yeah. And I think I think this could have been a good opportunity to create friction because they do seem to stand for two separate perceptions of how this summer should go because Troy is looking further into the future. He's more concerned with what's going to happen, whereas Gabriella wants to enjoy the now. And you would think that this discrepancy might cause some kind of friction between the two of them because it seems like they've got different priorities for the summer but nothing really happens because as you said they don't really share much screen time Gabriella feels more like a tool to emphasize just how much Troy is changing I will say it doesn't it create friction like isn't that the whole thing I mean it's more to do with Troy changing and how he's letting everybody around him down but it's less I feel like less to do with how they want to spend their time because when Troy is not being a jerk and he's hanging out with Gabrielle everything is okay between the two of them yeah I don't think it's like in the main plot but it is something like it is there it's somewhat of a driving force but Fulton actually finds them and tells them off and Troy keeps saying how it's his idea when they keep getting in trouble and it's like that's not that doesn't fucking matter Troy I'm with Fulton <laughs> Fulton is like irrelevant and he's right you're right he's stupid <laughs> so the next scene is Troy and Gabriella overhearing Kelsey practicing a song on the piano and it turns out that it's a song that she wrote for them to perform at the country club's talent show. Initially, Troy doesn't want to participate, but during the next song, You Are the Music in Me, he slowly becomes convinced. He's also slowly losing his fans. That <laughs> pair of jeans is so low. It gave me horrible flashbacks to my own high school. <laughs> so the song You Are the Music in Me is a great song. The phrase, you are the music in me, is also just a lovely sentiment for these two particular characters because music was such a significant part of the first movie and them exploring their identities and becoming brave enough to discover new parts of themselves. And it's like now they embody that sentiment for each other, which is just very sweet. Yeah, I agree. I actually had this thought about like, so Troy says his singing career started and ended with the East High Spring musical. But then I was like, I wonder what that means for their relationship. Like, do you think Gabrielle is like, hey, <laughs> but then the song happens and it struck me that you're the music and he means like, it's not about the music. Music is important to them because the other person is important to them not because music itself is what they are passionate about so the title you are the music in me meaning you are what makes this special not necessarily the music itself and I thought that was very sweet and I kept 
noticing it throughout the movie because we see this contrast between Troy and Sharpay and how for Sharpay the music and the performance is the whole thing for her whereas for Troy he can take it or leave it it's about the people so I thought that was a really interesting thing that they touch on through this song yeah that's a really great observation in the context of what you said I'm thinking of the line that says I'm singing words I never said. If we go off of what you said with music not being the important part, it's like with the people around him that he's singing with, he can reveal who he really is. Because like in the first movie, Troy was struggling with his persona as a basketball player and how he's valued predominantly for his basketball skills. Whereas now it's like he can fully be himself when he's participating in this thing with the people that he does i agree meanwhile while they're all singing the song ryan overhears their plans for the talent show and tells sharpay no 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 he tells golden throat oh right (laughs) immediately sharpay starts scheming the first step in her plan is on the surface getting troy and chad to caddy for her and her parents when they go golfing. Although now that I think about it, the more sinister underlayer is that she's scheming to separate Troy from the group so that she can get him to perform with her, which given her influence and power at the club is yet another unethical thing we can add to her long, long list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they caddy for the evidences. Uh, Like you said, there has been a whole commentary on class this whole time, but there's this very non-subtle moment when the dad shows up on a helicopter and then he gets off and then there's a shot of Troy self-consciously like tugging on his uniform and like smoothing it out, being so conscious about the fact that he's on a like different level than this really rich guy. But this whole scene is just commentary on all of that. I mean, there's the golf course... Need we say more? <laughs> I mean, it's the way that mostly men in the upper class socialize and get farther in, you know, business and life in general. And this whole scene is just a great way to contrast the boys and the family. I love how over the top and kind of wacky the Sharpays are, <laughs> contrasted with Troy and Chad's pure befuddlement. Yeah. <laughs> There's one moment where Sharpay talks Troy up and basically is trying to get her dad to hook Troy up with the U of A Red Hawks. So the basketball team of University of Albuquerque. Troy overhears this and we actually get a shot of him like looking really conflicted. He's already feeling this gulf between himself and the Evans family and then this happens where he's like he knows what's up basically like even from this early on. Yeah for sure his initial confusion is very on the surface especially in the scene following this where he's basically forced to have dinner with Sharpay's family and these important people from the board of the university. He's very much confused about what is happening and not at all immediately swept up by these opportunities. So I really like that as well, that it's very apparent that he's on a journey. (laughs) Yeah. There's a really funny line where Fulton gives him the suit to go to the dinner and then he ties the tie around his neck and he's like, like a dog collar. (laughs) Seriously, love that line. Because 
he himself is always wearing a tie. And actually, the fact that he likens it to a dog collar when I'm pretty sure Sharpay treats her actual dog better than she treats Fulton. Again, I think there's some interesting commentary. Later on, Ryan talks about himself as Sharpay's poodle. It's a recurring motif. Oh, interesting. I forgot to say when we were talking about the golf because when you were talking about golf being predominantly like a place for like old white men basically like businessmen making deals it kind of struck me as interesting that Sharpay is in this environment making deals of her own with her dad and obviously the context is a little bit different but still it kind of adds a facet to her personality to see her wielding this tool that I don't know I guess she's probably grown up around this similar environment so now she's putting it to use for her own benefit. Yeah, I love that for her. <laughs> but in the dinner, the board member compliments Troy on a play that he did in one of his games. And he tries to credit his teammates who are waiting on them. But Sharpie cuts him off immediately and takes control of the conversation. So like he starts out like being, you know, very nice and just very Troy. Like he doesn't have a big head. He's, you know, so it's happening basically. And he's trying his best to like make the most of it as a captain mm -hmm. there's this one line where the dad talks about scholarships and he's saying how between him and the other board member they have a lot of pull at the school and Troy nods along but is so clearly uncomfortable and then he immediately tries to leave at that point it almost feels like it's more wrong than the way that this way of him getting the scholarship is presented in the rest of the movie like this line just makes it more slimy that's interesting because for me I think the whole thing is slimy and potentially what might make it seem less so is Troy's reaction because in this scene especially in reaction to that line as you said his discomfort is palpable and he very clearly isn't buying into it whereas as we go on in the movie and after he has that conversation with his dad about needing to prioritize himself and his future as he slowly becomes more accustomed to being handed these opportunities his reaction is very different and so maybe that also puts the viewer more at ease <laughs> about what is happening. But I think when you step out of Troy's shoes, the whole thing is very shady. You're right. The movie fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> so they make him stay. Yeah. They don't listen to him at all. Just like Charpay. Nope. They're just the non-rich kid they're using as a tool <laughs> and trying to uh, invest in so that it'll reflect back on them like positively either monetarily or otherwise yeah during this dinner Sharpay also talks Troy into singing with her at some point in the future <laughs> who knows when that could be <laughs> And again, this is another like use of her authority over him and also like her power over him because like he's nobody and he's an employee and he's there at the table of like the owner of the fucking <laughs> country club and these board members at the university he's trying to get into and she's like the princess and she's still facilitating this deal. Like what the fuck else could he say? But that's not the end of it because even though Troy is now running late for a date with Gabriella, Fulton brings him to this place <laughs> cave yeah <laughs> he's forced to watch this performance by Sharpay and Ryan and this is where we get our next musical number yeah this is a deleted scene or rather it's a scene in the extended version of the movie whichever way you want to put it which I think did not age well I don't think it's appropriate no <laughs> but the one thing that I do find interesting is at the end 
where they have a conversation just between them and they're both being very frank. He basically tells her that she should just try singing without all the lights and set in backup people. And Sharpie takes it as stage direction instead. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like that. I think it shows how differently they think of singing and performing and just how different their desires are. Kind of highlights to how she wants Troy because he is seen by the public, by the student body, by investors, you know, her parents as something to invest in, something that attracts attention. And the very distilled version of that, I guess, is the most popular guy at East High. So she wants that attention. She wants that value for herself. And not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just great character writing. Like the fact that you could trace Sharpay's motivations and her desires from the stage to her within the student body and her within her family to her supposed crush on Troy. I don't even know that she likes him romantically. I think she just likes him to be one of her things. That's a great point. Now that you point it out, it really doesn't seem like she has a crush on him at all. It's more about his value and the value he would bring to her if she were to have him. <laughs> and... You already mentioned how differently they see music and one thing that kind of also stands out to me is how they act in real life versus the songs they're singing which is doesn't make sense but I will try to explain because like when Troy is singing you are the music in me it's a very personal reflection of the way he feels about Gabriella whereas when Sharpay is singing it it's not about the sentiment behind the lyrics it's about the things on the outside it's about the flashy props and the lights and the choreography and similarly here with this song she's singing about someone who will wait until the end of time until this fish prince is turned back into a human but what we actually see her do is abandon Ryan, the fish boy, and just hand Troy the part of the prince and basically treat Ryan as disposable. It struck me as an example of what you were saying about how differently they see music and what music means to each of them. That's a great point. I totally agree. Like the songs and performing is a way for Troy to express his feelings, whereas for Sharpay, I feel like in addition to what you said, it's a way for her to express what she wants people to see her as. Like, it's like the way she dresses and whatever, you know? Mm. It is really funny how Troy gets away from her because he compliments her shoes <laughs> and the way he says it is very much like a put-on voice. Mm. <laughs> so Troy is being a dum-dum again and he gets <laughs> them into trouble because they go in the pool when they should not have been in the pool. Yes, he and Gabriella, that is... Actually, there's a an interesting line when Troy was still gone to change or whatever. Gabriel is talking with Taylor. But there's this one line where she says, just because Troy is a nice guy. And then she's like, you know, doesn't mean he can be late or whatever. But I think that's a great line to keep in mind for the plot of the movie. Because like the whole thing is a matter of like, we know Troy is the thing. So we're like more likely to forgive him for whatever he does in this movie. But like the fact that they've had the sign where they say just because Troy is a nice guy dot 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 he's still capable of doing xyz and it's such a throwaway line but it almost allows the audience to make this distinction the way they put it is a really succinct way of being able to both explain away your own conflicted feelings about a loved one being like a jerk or whatever and also giving you permission to 
make sure that someone you care about or a character you care about is still taking accountability for the shitty things that they do. And it makes for more nuanced characters than you see in many forms of media. <laughs> but we've come to the famed scene. Troy, dad, car. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts? My predominant thought was that it's so real. Whenever I see comments that say this movie is very out there and it's very, you know, when whenever it's implied that it's a nothing movie, I remember scenes like this which are so grounded in reality. And I can imagine watching this movie at around that age and really relating to the situation Troy is facing. And in this particular case, I think they depict the discomfort of being this kind of chosen one who gets handpicked from the masses to join the 1%, it feels like, sitting around being waited on by the people you call your friends and your teammates. The way they depict Troy's inner conflict about wanting to embrace it because he knows it'll be favorable for his future but also he knows that there's something wrong about it i think they did a great job with that yeah you were talking about how it must have been nice to see something like this on screen when you're that age and you can relate so well and the fact that other people seem to say that this is a nothing movie i have a theory because ah. <laughs> i was too young i think same so now i'm wondering if the like general public meaning like people who did grow up with this movie were all too young to really understand what was happening like a lot of the nuances in this movie because i don't think people at this age like in junior year or whatever were watching this movie i think it was marketed too young for them and so that's why like kids growing up just remembered it as a nothing movie because they didn't get it because we didn't get it and that's why it's remembered the way that it was and then and the actual people who would have like gotten the most from this movie weren't even watching it because at this point High School Musical had already had a reputation and it skewed younger somewhat which I almost really appreciate it's like in writing the movie they weren't really thinking of like how do we milk this cow as best as we can and like really target quote unquote kids or whatever they were just trying to make a good movie and this is what made sense for the characters and it just so happens that this is what they were going through I can totally see that everything you said it makes a lot of sense and I agree with you and just to Clarified though, the relatable part of it. I didn't mean to imply that everyone else would have gone through the same thing as Troy, but it's more that sentiment of when do you start to prioritize yourself and how far do things stay the same once you graduate, you know, and the risk of getting left behind. Yeah, well, I mean, even that is so specific to a certain time in your life. Like, you have to be at the cusp of adulthood to really understand, like, why this is so important and, like, the pressure that Troy is under and, like, why this is a life-changing thing that is happening. You're right. It's a great thing that they allowed these characters to go through this growth and experience these things that are so quintessential to that age rather than trying to make something that would appeal to a broad audience. But in this conversation with the dad, he basically said, never be ashamed of attention as long as you've earned it. And I think it's the thing that keeps plaguing Troy's mind and what he like sets his morals on like he's like basically this is the line that i have to draw later when he realizes for sure that the attention and the opportunities and the benefits he's getting is not at all to do with his own accomplishments he does feel undeserving of them and rightfully rejects them so i think this line is so crucial to just like the entire movie just the entire theme and plot this entire conversation is very clearly a turning point 
for Troy because after this, we see his attitude start to change towards everything that's happening at the country club. And this line specifically about having earned what he's getting. When it comes to Troy and the way he behaves moving forward, I kind of feel like he takes it at face value maybe and puts blinders on when it comes to certain things. Because yes, on the surface, he is a very talented basketball player. He is deserving of these opportunities because he works hard and he has the skills it takes to, you know, get the scholarship and everything. But he never really questions how these opportunities are coming his way because ultimately they're not a direct result of his hard work. It's a direct result of Sharpay wanting to sing with him at the talent show. Take away Sharpay and will this thing happen as a result of his merits? Maybe in a roundabout way it could. But it could be that it also doesn't happen. It just feels like he's using what his dad said almost as an excuse to make himself feel better about this whole thing and almost convince himself that this is okay. I agree. But actually, right after this, Fulton promotes him. Seemingly out of the blue. (laughs) It's not even like he's been doing amazingly at work. And is being rewarded. Actually, he is offered this right after Troy brings up his last infraction. So it really hammers home how wrong it is. But he's an assistant to the golf pros. It's a salary job. $500 a week plus tips. Troy says at one point, but sir, I don't think I'm qualified. And he's like, eh. Don't even think about that. I do feel like this is the first time where he gets swept away by the sheer amount of privileges and yeah, how attractive this all is because there's no way that he's not questioning why this is happening. But you can see throughout the scene that he slowly starts forgetting his initial objections because he's swept away by this tide of things that he suddenly has access to now, which is realistic enough, I would say. I think they actually did a pretty good job with like the progression of his character, like how he gets to where he is later. I mean, the shine on those shoes are just too good. (laughs) (laughs) They blinded him. But he teaches golf to kids and to Sharpay and she tells him that they're gonna perform together at the talent show and the Red Hawk boosters are gonna be there which is like a big deal but Troy straight up says your parents have been really nice but singing with you isn't a part of my job like he tries to like really put his foot down and here's where we have to talk about Sharpay's unethical behavior yet again Mm. (laughs) she's like full-on coercing Troy and Troy is like really doing like textbook my employer is harassing me, like, lines. But here's a funny thing that happens. I don't know if you caught this. Sharpay distracts him by complimenting Troy's shoes. Like in the cave! (laughs) It's really hilarious, but it works. And it's almost like a sign that Troy is morphing more and more into someone in Sharpay's social class. That is a great catch. So at the end of this conversation, Troy leaves and we find out that Sharpay is actually good at golf. In the context of all the manipulation and all the unethical things we've already discussed, it feels especially sinister. I don't know why. Yeah. (laughs) But here's where Troy does start being a jerk. I wonder what the turning point is. I think maybe this is the one thing that I don't like. I don't think it's gradual enough. He suddenly like on a dime turns into a jerk. I'm also a little bit confused about the progression of days. I can't tell how much time has passed between the dinner scene where Troy is still 
aware of his teammates and wants to credit them and then this lunch scene where he's with the red hawks and it seems like troy is about to introduce his teammates but he's really just sending his food back i agree because the timeline is confusing at least to me it does feel like an abrupt change there's also a shot of chad and taylor and gabriella eating their sandwiches in the kitchen and it's like a stark contrast the lunch outside in the dining room speaking of a stark contrast there's also this one point i wanted to bring up that takes place right before this lunch where sharpay's dad is introducing troy to the red hawks and sharpay barges in talking about how this particular shade of blue looks great on troy and on her and it's framed kind of like a joke because everyone is kind of just confused but it was interesting to me how Sharpay finds this tone of blue that's apparently a match for the both of them because usually when Troy's wearing blue it's his uniform for work and obviously whenever Sharpay's wearing it it's you know part of her fancy fashion collection so again like the shoe thing I think this is hinting at how much Troy is changing with Sharpay's influence he's part of the rich people club now yeah I didn't even think about that that's a great reading I think it's also really interesting that in this scene her dad is introducing him around to the Red Hawks and he's getting all of this attention and then Sharpie barges in to kind of soak that in like she's like Troy's in the spotlight so now I gotta be by his side mm. there's also this part where she almost like role plays the dutiful wife it's like she's emulating the kind of people she grew up with like the way maybe her mom would have acted around her dad and his business partners and stuff it's like she's playing house and she's imagining this future for them and planning it and later on we do see Troy kind of catch on to this when he yeah. sees her in a wedding dress and he realizes that she is doing all of this because she's building a future for herself she's building a future for them and she's scheming towards that so that was what struck me in that scene yeah that is a great observation and I think we get a very early on hint back in the scene where Troy is caddying for Sharpay's family because she says to him I think it's time you met my parents <laughs> it's like she's so disconnected from reality because in her eyes she's introducing her boyfriend to her parents whereas he's just there because he has to be but Sharpay has another moment of being an awful person in power as the daughter of the owner of Lava Springs and someone who has sway on employment she takes Kelsey's song for herself. Kelsey's song that she wrote for Troy and Gabriella. When I'm sure it is not in her contract that any music she writes while employed by Lava Springs is forfeit to the company. And if it is, then that's incredibly predatory. <laughs> Don't sign that, Kelsey. <laughs> you, you went into law mode. <laughs> <laughs> I do really like in this scene that we see Sharpay and Ryan getting into this little spat because Sharpay's throwing away their performance so that she can sing with Troy and Kelsey sees it, which I think they do a pretty good job of making sure the right people are in the right places for things to make sense. An interesting aspect of it is also the fact that these people who are staff at the country club are also Sharpay's peers and their dynamic is usually very different when they're at school where Sharpay's authority is less official. <laughs> yeah. So Troy is at this point playing basketball by himself and a wild Gabriella appears. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about her in a while. <laughs> yeah, they have this conversation, which I quite like because they are touching on these serious topics without overtly mentioning 
everything or like solving the problem in the space of one conversation. But yeah, in this conversation, Gabriella gently reminds Troy of the commitments that he's been missing with his friends and the fact that he's acting kind of differently and I just really like how natural it is and how everything isn't hidden behind convoluted dialogue but it's also not completely on the surface either it's a nice balance yeah it feels like the way real people would talk yeah exactly and the scene ends with Troy's friends asking him to play basketball like he promised but the red hawks show up and troy decides to go with them instead and there's this one part where right before he leaves chad asks for his basketball back and i love that so much because it's such a petty but realistic thing for chad to do considering how much the sport means to the two of them and it's just it's heartbreaking <laughs> It is. It's really heartbreaking. It almost feels like a second chance that Troy did not take, right? Mm. Oh, there's this whole thing where basically Chad is like, why don't you invite them to play with us or like get the Wildcats and Red Hawks together? And Troy like rebuffs him. The thing is like, I get that he would feel awkward about almost like asking a favor of the Red Hawks. And so I think it's actually pretty well constructed where as an audience member you get why he is hesitant but i really like that it's this thing where you can understand where it's coming from but it's still shitty troy's a nice guy but yeah this is the same guy who got them all jobs with mr fulton like you would expect him to at least try <laughs> yeah wow what a, what an example to fall back on well he's a kid you know he doesn't have that real world experience but with all of this he's been thrown into a completely different world and you know his dad warned him about falling behind with his friends but he didn't warn him about what happens when your friends fall behind and now he doesn't know how to deal with that he doesn't know how to reconcile the reality of his position and his situation with that of his friends it's something that even grown-ups i'm sure struggle to reckon with and i don't expect a teenager to be able to do it yeah. i guess a part of it is also the fear of losing it you don't know what the limit is he's being handed all these things i guess he's aware that the people handing him the things could also easily take it away anyway we must move on because do you know what's next i do know what's next the best scene <laughs> in all of cinematic history <laughs> i don't dance but there's this really nice scene. It's just a nice arc overall where Gabriella and Taylor invite Ryan to the baseball game. Like, they're so nice to him. It is so nice to see them kind of adopting Ryan into their friend group. And maybe it has something to do with what you were talking about earlier with Kelsey overhearing what happened between Sharpay and Ryan. Yeah. I mean, they know. They've seen the way that Sharpay treats him. And when added onto that what Kelsey must have told them they're like oh he's like one of us basically right one of us, one <laughs> of us. <laughs> that's very fitting because of what happens next the initiation you mean yeah <laughs> it starts with like Gabriella trying to talk about how they should still do the talent show because they could have Ryan as a director but this triggers the start of the actual game is what I'm trying to say so they almost like use the game to like test Ryan and whether or not he can be like their director yeah, I can see that because throughout this number, you can definitely see, you know, Ryan is trying to sway Chad 
and him kind of changing his mind about dancing, i.e. performing and i.e. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. Well, my notes just read, so I guess they're playing to see if Ryan should be their director or if Chad should fuck him. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> well, clearly the song is a thinly veiled number on sexuality. Yes. It's such a good song. It's really good. Like the play on words, the innuendos, and it's not like cheap innuendos or anything like they're it's just a really good song for what they're trying to do i still remember the day that i was old enough to listen to the song and really pay attention and when i heard the lyric i'll show you how i swing and when i had the revelation (laughs) i was like oh (laughs) aside from that whole obvious thing though i also do like this marrying of two worlds that are usually perceived as very different if not completely opposite each other it kind of reminds me of get your head in the game placing a musical number in a sports environment and putting the characters in a familiar place where they're able to more easily express their internal struggles and it's similar to placing troy on a basketball court and have him sing his internal conflict and they do a similar thing with chad yeah and there's always been a lot of parallels between sports and performing arts but also especially baseball and performing arts and i think baseball is also like such a specifically homoerotic and it's so often used as a device to explore themes such as the one in this song and what i was trying to also say earlier is like that's where the term swing comes in as well right with the double meaning they also perform swing dance moves and i really like the parallel i guess yeah it's like two sides of the same coin and they're both things that are peripheral to the queer movement and also one is more so maybe a closer parallel and one is often seen as something opposite to it in the sense of like the place masculinity has in queerness and it feels like such a good conversation between performing arts and sports which is a conversation that is present in all of these movies these high school musical movies yeah you're right and i think as you said it's two sides of the same coin and this wordplay that we get throughout the song really emphasizes that because it's like that recurring duality between what is being said and what is being meant one of the recurring lines is there's just one little thing that stops me every time and that is in the first movie kind of like Troy's theme right and now we see that this is not unique to Troy this is more telling of people in his position and Chad is very much that person because in the first movie Chad was the one person who seemed fine with everything and now we get to see him explore this same inner conflict through this song and it was just really nice to see Chad have his own number yeah you're right especially because he not only seemed to be the one who was perfectly fine in the last movie he was also the one who seemed very vehemently against anything changing and now we can see that that was potentially stemming from his own fears about everyone else around him moving on and leaving him behind because he's too afraid to take that one last step there's one thing that stops him every time it's a great way of fleshing out his character it's more development than we get for gabriella the wildcats do win the game but Chad takes another shot, hits on him one more time. (laughs) And at that point, Ryan kind of feels like he's proven himself. And like he's found some people who do accept him, kind of. And um, 
What else? Oh yeah, Chad and Ryan exchange clothes? Question mark, question mark, question mark? <laughs> that was a choice. <laughs> it's too obvious. Yeah, with the clothes changing thing, aside from the obvious, I do like how it could indicate how they're more attuned to the other's perspective. Well, there's this whole friendship that's been brewing with Gabrielle and Ryan, and I really like it. I think it's really sweet. Me too. But Ryan expresses this thing about how people see him, and he says, I know everyone thinks I'm Sharpay's poodle. And Gabriella says, hey, if they were thinking that, they're not thinking that today. I really like this like honest conversation between them, because Gabrielle isn't like, hey, don't say that. No one thinks that, or whatever. She's just saying, well, you proved yourself. But Troy shows up, and he gets so jealous, and it's so funny. <laughs> oh my god, there's this one moment where he turns to Gabriella, and he's like, I tried calling you yesterday, I got hung up at the gym. And she just gives the most deadpan face, and doesn't say anything. And it goes on for a while, until Ryan has to jump in. Ryan is the one who breaks the silence. He's like, hey man, blah 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 blah. I was like, oh no. I was like, they're about to fight. <laughs> This was the first moment when Gabriella wasn't like making excuses for him, wasn't trying to be nice. Like she was just kind of over it. And I think that was a really interesting like progression for their relationship and for her. I really like that it's just silence between the two of them. I think that says a lot <laughs> without going into like a whole dramatic confrontation. So we finally have this confrontation between Troy and Chad. Chad tells him off for not even asking the Red Hawks if the Wildcats can play with them. And Troy defends himself by saying the Red Hawks found him. The job came to him. And he says, you would do the same thing if dot dot dot. And Chad says, if I was as good as you. And like, that's the crux of it, right? This is the subtext this whole time that he doesn't want to face, that he doesn't want to acknowledge is the fact that if he truly thinks he is deserving of this and it is only coming to him because he is deserving of it and because he's earned it, the way his dad told him is the only way this could be okay, then he must truly believe that he is a better basketball player than Chad. Mm, he has to convince himself in a way that it must be because he's better because if he's not better then maybe he's not the only one deserving and then he has to confront the fact that maybe he's truly not deserving of this and it's just being handed to him so he's kind of stuck between these two possibilities that he doesn't want to face there's also this line that chad says we didn't vote you captain because of your jump shot we did it because you're the guy who usually knows what's up but i guess things change i adore this whole scene but i adore this line it's both cutting and insulting and true the real role of a captain is almost completely opposite to being the best quote unquote there's no room for pride at the supposed top but that's the thing like being captain doesn't mean you're at the top of your game necessarily it's that you would be a good captain because you unify them or you find them opportunities or whatever so it's like chad is reminding him what it means to even be captain in the first place and he is doing it in like the most cutting way in the way i guess like only a best friend and a real partner could and building off of that troy says i don't answer to you and to an extent troy does answer to chad at least in the sense of the Wildcats. As captain, he very much answers to his team. And he also does answer to Chad in the sense of like being his friend. So like the same way that he's failing Gabriella as her boyfriend, he's also failing Chad as his best friend on top of as his captain. It's a really great conversation between the two. And as you said, there are so many layers because not only are they 
a part of the same basketball team where Troy's the captain, but they're best friends. They're like brothers that they've known each other since they were children. I like how initially the way Chad confronts him is to mention his standing in the basketball team. And you're right, it is cutting in many ways. But I think the line afterwards is even more cutting because now they're past the basketball even and it's purely as friends that Chad is pointing out that he's fundamentally changed like put aside the basketball player persona put aside the captaincy as the person who was my best friend you've changed it's heartbreaking on so many levels and Troy during this whole scene he's in so much denial it feels like because he's pretending like he's still on equal standing with his peers when it's very clear that he's being favored among everyone else and the one line that stood out to me is when he's mentioning all these privileges and he says I said yes my decision and it's like he's denying culpability for everything else that's happened it's almost like he's saying it was by chance handed to me and I said yes that was the only thing that was in my hands it's such a great way of showing that Chad is really his friend like he's a real friend because he's trying to open his eyes to reality and he's not afraid to point out that Troy is in the wrong here yeah I wish because we were talking about how now not only do the Evans family own his like Italian leather shoes quote unquote his but like they own Troy to an extent and I wish they had explored that even further like Chad being like what are they gonna ask of you 10 years from now that you won't be able to say no to are you gonna have to throw a game are you gonna have to you know like even like darker shit like that yeah, that would have been a way to illuminate the trajectory that Troy is on and potentially doesn't realize. Yeah. And we do see the first of what would have been, I'm sure, many things Troy has to do to pay back the Evans family, where he has to rehearse his performance with Sharpay. They do a new rendition of You're the Music and Me. I love it. Right? This arrangement is so fitting for Sharpay. It really shows that she's first a performer and second anything else. I really like how even the lyrics kind of change meaning with Sharpay's rendition because she's saying, you know the words once upon a time makes you listen. There's a reason. And to me, in this performance, it's about the show has started. You have to listen to me. It's why this thing that I do performing is entertainment. When she says like you are the music in me, it's like she's speaking now to an audience and she's saying like the applause is fuel for the music in her. It's been recontextualized that way and I think it's fucking great. <laughs> I have to agree. I love the way she's taken over this whole song because compared to Troy and Gabriella's version, the balance between Troy and Sharpay is off in so many ways. Almost the whole song is out of Troy's comfortable vocal range range so he's forced to sing in falsetto if he wants to keep up he's completely lost and clueless throughout the performance and can only follow Sharpay's lead and he keeps getting startled by the different performance elements and barely gets in a word and I love it so much because he's so out of his element and his discomfort shows in so many ways in his singing and his body language his expression I love it <laughs> I do too I will say he gets with the program real quick he's great with impromptu performances yeah that is very true he catches on fairly quick and it's at the end of this performance that there's that shot of Sharpay in the wedding dress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love the humorous touch. You know, it's like, you can tell the creators were having fun with this. And yeah, it's not only a great rendition of the song we heard earlier,
here, but it serves such an important purpose in the story as well. This is also an important step in Troy realizing what he's truly in for, like how steeped in Sharpay's world he's getting and he's basically getting trapped. That shot of Sharpay in the wedding dress is funny, but it's also like that is his future if he carries on this way. <laughs> and that's scary. <laughs> And then after this, so he stumbles upon everybody else rehearsing for the staff performance led by Ryan. And Sharpay is also hot on his trail and she also overhears and sees Ryan leading everybody and feels betrayed that he is now, as she says, one of them. This is also when Troy once again employs his powers of invisibility. <laughs> yeah, and Sharpay uh, employs her lack of peripheral vision. <laughs> yeah, right? That was also a thing. There's a part where Sharpay is telling Ryan off for quote-unquote betraying her and she says, do you want us to lose the Star Dazzle Award to a bunch of dishwashers? Just another class thing that comes up. Yeah. This is a very satisfying scene. Getting to see Ryan finally stand up to Sharpay. In the beginning of the movie, there was a part where he was like, come on Sharpay, it's summer, everything changes. And Sharpay repeats that back to him and kind of changes the meaning. And I was almost expecting him to throw that back in her face now, considering how much things have changed in a very unexpected direction. I feel like that would have been the final nail in the coffin, kind of. You're right. Well, I just have to say I love the transition to the next scene with the oh. drum beat. <laughs> yeah. So this is when Sharpay tells Fulton to ban the employees from the talent show. And at this point, Fulton tries to talk her out of it, but she's like, fuck you, fuck them. <laughs> and so when he gives Taylor the stack of paper that's like the announcement, he's like super stressed and she ends up sympathizing with him and like offers him a cup of tea. And I really like that moment. It's also like a moment that feels kind of like class solidarity. I agree. It humanizes... Fulton a little bit and makes you realize that he is just as much bound by Sharpay's authority or the Evans's authority as everyone else's. Yeah, but this ban is actually what fires Gabriella up. We haven't talked about her in a while. Too. She shows up like three times in our conversation so far in this whole episode. <laughs> she shows up like three times in the movie. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Basically, Gabriella goes to confront Sharpay, and I really like this conversation. Sharpay says, "You don't like the fact that I." One and Gabriel's like, What's the prize, Troy? The Star Dazzle Award? You have to go through all of this just to get either one. <laughs> Basically, she ends it with, You're very good at the game that I don't want to play, so I'm done. And then she says this line that's like a little cheesy, but I mean, yeah. I guess gets the point across. But she says, You better step away from the mirror long enough to check the damage that will always be behind you. I really like that they do explicitly say that what Sharpay is doing is creating damage. I think acknowledging it to Sharpay's face specifically is really nice. Like, you now have to confront the reality of what you've done kind of thing, which I don't think is a frequent thing Sharpay has to do. I especially love Gabriella's complete disinterest in fighting for Troy because she knows better. Like for her, none of this is about jealousy. She knows that Troy isn't interested in Sharpay, even if he was like flirting with other women or like their like insecurities about infidelity or whatever, it's not gonna be Sharpay. Like this whole thing in Sharpay's head that's happening about like, I'm stealing him away from you. It's like so out of the realm of reality for Gabriella and it's almost like a childish thing that Sharpay is doing that Gabrielle is not even engaging with. I always liked the line about Sharpay playing a game that Gabriella doesn't want to play, especially because I think it's 
a bit of a revelation for Sharpay because I'm sure she's been imagining this whole rivalry and she's been imagining the others around her as opponents of some sort that she's sparring against and to be enlightened to the fact that it was kind of all her by herself all along is a little bit embarrassing <laughs> and I can understand why at the end of this conversation Sharpay is left speechless because it's like it was all pointless in a way it was her all alone on that stage but not in the way that she likes not because she kicked everybody off it's because it was just her all along I think Gabriella really hits the nail on the head I also really like the opposing stances they seem to take on this whole issue because Sharpay accuses Gabriella of jeopardizing Troy's future and acts like she's saving his prospects and it seems like there's this dynamic where Gabriella would rather focus on the here and now and Sharpay is thinking long term but when you look deeper it's in fact Sharpay who's leveraging Troy's future to get what she wants in the moment when you really think about it Sharpay is the one who's doing more harm that's a great point I think there might be another class difference thing here where for Sharpay a good future is equivalent to a certain kind of lifestyle that she is creating for Troy but that way of thinking isn't something Gabriella is prey to because like what Sharpay is crafting is also different from what Troy wants like there are elements of what Troy wants in Sharpay's imagined future for Troy but like he isn't preoccupied with making business deals on the golf course while Sharpay is at his side kind of thing it's almost like a disconnect as well between them yeah you're right so this is where we get the next song, which is Gotta Go My Own Way. There's this one part that is heartbreaking to me, where Troy says, I meant what I said. And he's talking about being together this summer and yada yada. And Gabriella says, I'm sure you did at the time. And that's like so heartbreaking because it's like the core of like people change. Yeah. And just like being a nice guy doesn't preclude you from making mistakes, the fact that you are making mistakes now doesn't mean that it raises your good intentions from back then. It doesn't erase who you were back then. You can be both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they gotta go their own ways. Yeah, it wouldn't be a high school musical movie without Gabriella leaning on some lockers. So I'm glad we got that. <laughs> oh my god, you're right! Okay, so as a kid, I didn't realize this was a breakup. Oh, <laughs> I thought she was just leaving. That's why I was like, what's the fucking big deal? <laughs> and I think this is it. I took the song way too literally, so I didn't understand. I gotta go my own way means like we gotta split up figuratively. Yeah, they were saying in life, but you thought they meant in the country club. <laughs> I gotta go find my own cabin. <laughs> It's a good song. And yeah, Gabriella returns the tea necklace and she leaves. And in the next scene, we see Troy back home. Again, he asks his dad for advice. And this scene kind of makes me laugh because in a roundabout way, his dad basically tells him to figure it out himself. He's like, I can't do this. I have a giant plate of meat I gotta eat. <laughs> I've got grown-up priorities I need to tend to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I understand the essence of it. He points Troy to younger Troy and he's like, <laughs> he's saying be yourself or be true to yourself or whatever. But beyond that, it's like, you've only got yourself to talk to. <laughs> you've only got yourself to rely on. <laughs> That's so funny. For me, what this scene brought up is the dad kind of taking the pressure off him and recontextualizing their priorities because the dad kind of sees that this whole thing with the scholarship, it has too much weight 
wait suddenly. Like, he sees that it's leading his son astray. Basically, he's like, forget about the fucking scholarship for a second. Like, that's only as important as you make it. Your reading of the scene is much more favorable to the dad, and I would prefer to see it that way. So Kelsey tells him about the ban for the employees. And yeah, this is a Troy solo, and it's quite simple compared to the other numbers. What I like about this song is that Troy makes the Fancy Rich People Club his playground of sorts because throughout the song he's walking around the country club and he's retracing the steps he's been taking so far because of his job and coming to a revelation about how he's been acting. And it also seems important that he do this alone considering he's always been surrounded by people who've been influencing how he should act and what he should think and, you know, influencing the things that should be important to him and... That's why one of the lines he says, give me room to think, it makes a lot of sense because this is the first time that he's truly by himself and he is the only one that he's relying on. And I think it's kind of like a turning point considering what he said earlier about, you know, I'm only as good as what happens next season. It was like he was worried about relying on his skills because he wasn't sure of them. But now it's an empowering thing that he's by himself and he's only got himself to rely on. Yeah, I totally agree. I love the song a lot. There are some lines that are very core to what Troy as a character is, like functionally and thematically. There's this line that reads, Did you ever get on a ride then want to get off? Which is a very Troy Bolton line. And there's this other line, How will I know there's a path worth taking? Which I think is the main conflict that he has in this movie especially. Because that's the thing this entire time, right? He's playing a game of risk assessment. He's like... Is this worth what I'm giving up? Will this path pay off? And obviously the conclusion that he comes to is that no path is worth risking his sense of self. And just bet on it is also fitting because like this entire time these rich people have been trying to invest in him and he's almost like taking that concept and turning it on its head because he's saying like instead of having other people bet on me I'm gonna bet on me. Again it's empowering himself almost by turning around everything that's been fed to him so far because yeah it's like you said it's changing the meaning you can bet on me because you know he's choosing to prioritize himself but in a very different way not in a I need to secure my future way but more in a you know I need to be true to myself way. And I think even in the sense of I want to secure my future but like not like this you know like I'll do it while betting on myself instead of betting on these people yeah there's also this line that kind of plays into that whole conversation between Gabrielle and Sharpay and he says I don't want to win this game if I can play it my way which is really interesting because this is him acknowledging there is a game at play and it's not like he didn't know in the very beginning he was really uncomfortable with this quote-unquote game but here he's outright acknowledging it and finally rejecting his role in it that's a really great reading although i have to say the part where he's looking into the water i understand it's supposed to be all symbolic because he's confronting himself finally and there's this part where he throws his hand across the water and destroys the reflection so i understand the symbolism there and everything but how clear the reflection is makes me laugh every time (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he turns things around 
by telling Sharpay that he's not doing the show. And he says he doesn't like the way Sharpay has been treating his friends and the way he's been treating them too. And I wish he had also said that he doesn't like the way she's been treating him because he's been treating him really badly and she's the one who's coercing him into all of these things. And like he becomes a jerk later but like so many things are like because of her harassment (laughs) as an employer basically or at least someone who has power over his employment. You're right and actually I feel like this is not acknowledged enough by everyone around Troy as well. The fact that Sharpay really has been harassing him and using her authority to make him do things that he clearly doesn't want to do. Overall, I really like the scene where Troy takes things back into control because he takes full accountability for what he's done or his acknowledgement of that is very clear and I kind of feel like the other side is missing where they don't acknowledge everything that he's been through because even though he has been doing some crappy things, he has also gone through some crappy things. Just because Troy is a not so nice (laughs) boy, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) You know the thing I said about how I wish... Chad had brought up the fact that the Evans family now owns him like I think that would have been a good way of acknowledging what is being done to Troy yeah exactly and Kelsey is there so she overhears and this is how basically everybody else comes to find out that Troy and Sharpay has had this falling out and Troy stood up to her and everything and there's a Troy and Chad moment yeah it's so sweet it is. and I love <laughs> me too and they say brothers side we're still brothers Troy even apologizes to Ryan which is great yeah so Ryan requests Troy to sing with Sharpay and he basically makes a deal with her that he'll sing with her if the others can also perform after which Ryan tells Troy that Sharpay has asked him to learn a new song. He really is a great impromptu performer. He really is. He's cursed with this talent and people (laughs) keep making him perform. Yeah. And so he starts performing, but we realize that it wasn't actually Sharpay's request and Ryan has tricked Sharpay out of the performance. And instead, it's a duet between Troy and Gabriella, who's back. Yeah, and then they sing the song called Every Day. I like it. (laughs) I know you do. Take it away, Sohini. (laughs) Alright, these are my thoughts on Every Day. I think this song does a really good job of capturing the characters' attempts at balancing these two different things they've been grappling with. Thinking about the future and living in the moment. They mention once-in-a-lifetime and these quote, once-in-a-lifetime opportunities have been plentiful, and Troy fell for it, thinking he had to grab them all to secure his future. But throughout the movie, he learns that the real once-in-a-lifetime is the current moment, the only moment we're guaranteed, and the everyday life he gets to spend with his friends and family. And in this, I really like the wordplay between every day and the everyday, the mundane moments of the days that pass by, that can actually end up being really precious in hindsight. That's why I like every day. It's the wordplay. <laughs> See, when you put it that way, that's that's nice. It is also echoing what Gabriella said before. She says, if along the way you act like someone you're not, pretty soon that's who you become. Yeah, and it's like the song echoes that sentiment and highlights the importance of staying true to yourself because even if you end up achieving your dreams, it doesn't mean anything if you've lost yourself. Yeah, the lyric is, they say that you should follow and chase down what you dream, but if you get lost and lose yourself, what does it really mean? You know, if I'm just looking at the lyrics, I do like it. I'm starting to think maybe it's like the performance or something. 
not like their performance, just like the set design. Is, I don't, what is, what is going on? <laughs> I agree. I also found myself liking the song much more when I separated from the visuals. <laughs> Yeah. There's something weird about the performance, the cloud background, and I don't know, it's a little bit weird. But maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a part of it because it is supposed to be the talent show performance. And so there are certain constraints, like the country club has put in minimal effort. <laughs> mm. There's also the part at the end where they all like come up and they're just like in a circle. It's weird. Like, why not just choreograph it? Like, did they like run out of money in the last like 20 minutes? They spent all their money CGIing Troy's reflection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we solved it. <laughs> at the end of the performance, um, they pull Sharpay onto the stage as well. And when Fulton is presenting the award, she ends up giving it over to Ryan. I don't think he earned it. That was a really shitty performance, Ryan. You could do better. <laughs> he's only used to um, choreographing himself and his sister. So when it's all these people, he's like, just you know, do what feels natural. Hold okay. hands. <laughs> yeah, and then they hang out on a hill, question mark? Another golf course. <laughs> Endless golf courses. Nothing special to say here except for Gabriella saying, here's to the future. And Troy says, no, here's to right now. Which I don't feel like they do enough with this friction between them because that may be a driving force, but that's not the core of it. Yeah, I think I like this line as a way to encapsulate what Troy has learned. But the fact is that anyone could be saying this line to him, not Gabriella. It could be anyone and it wouldn't change anything. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if we're focusing on the development of Troy and Gabriella's relationship, it doesn't do anything for that. Their relationship isn't really fleshed out or anything that much in this movie. Yeah, you're right. The relationship between Troy and Gabriella doesn't really develop in this movie. Like, nothing really grows here. I mean, like, they have conflict and they solve it, but it doesn't really push their relationship forward. And then we have our final song of the movie, All for One. A very generic song. Feels like it's just there to solidify this movie's position as a summer movie. Yeah, it's the least tied to the narrative. I guess that's it. Yeah, I guess that's it. So, in absurd conclusion, Troy is cursed with the ability to sing <laughs> and perform at the last minute and knock it out of the park. And that's why he keeps finding himself in the situation. <laughs> it's a curse. Yeah, it's inevitable. It's fate. He was cursed by that Cupid guy from the first movie. That's the cryptic thing that he was like, you guys will thank me later. You're right. Troy hasn't stopped getting on stage after that moment. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> In another absurd conclusion, Ryan and Sharpay have a secret sibling that <laughs> popped up once to play the piano, but then was hidden away again, never to be seen. <laughs> Any snacks you would recommend for this movie? For this movie, I recommend turkey from Maine. Oh, very specific. Oh, I recommend peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because apparently Troy is an expert at making those. I recommend Gabriella's mother's brownies. Oh, nice. Oh, a bunch of meat on a plate. <laughs> Unless Troy's dad has already eaten all of it. Yeah. <laughs> now that we've discussed this movie in excruciating detail, what are your thoughts? Have your opinions changed? And would you recommend it? My opinion hasn't changed because despite how confusing it was to kid me, I did enjoy it a lot and I still enjoy it now. So absolutely, 
I would definitely recommend it. And I don't at all agree with the critics who said this movie doesn't have a soul or a message. If you dig deep enough, and you don't even have to dig that far, you will find plenty in this movie in terms of a message and a soul and also a tone that is very distinct from the first movie like I think it has enough of a like to stand on its own so it doesn't even feel like that inevitable meaningless sequel just made to make money because you can tell the creators had a lot of heart and they allowed their characters to grow and to face new challenges and they thought of more than just the target audience again just like the first movie it really feels like they were focused on telling a fun story i think it's definitely worth a watch what about you i think my opinion has changed and that i took this movie way too much for granted i really liked it as a kid but i really did not think much of it if that makes sense i thought this was not like the best high school musical movie um now it's wrong I think it is the best high school musical movie. I think it actually has the best songs. I definitely recommend it. But like we talked about, a lot of the like Troy and Gabriella relationship stuff is so dependent on the first movie. And I wonder now if you hadn't watched the first one, would that solid foundation even be there? Like maybe we're just projecting because of our knowledge of how they started out, you know? Now I'm thinking back and I'm like, every day, that whole ending kind of like brings this movie down. It does a little. I think it just makes it a little shy of perfect. But yeah, I think uh, I definitely recommend watching this if you've seen the first one. Just to add on to what you said, I do think if I were to critique just one thing about this movie, it would be the ending. Though I do feel like if... I'm thinking about the ending of the first movie. It also feels kind of similarly fluffy and also like some of the threads don't really feel tied necessarily. Like Sharpay goes through this whole experience, but she always seems to revert to her original self like she doesn't really seem to develop as a character and i think that's both in the first and in the second movie so it's not necessarily an isolated critique of the second movie that is something that comes to mind that being said i just really like how different it is from the first movie because it's not rehashing those same ideas and themes it's saying something new yeah hey that's all for our episode in high school musical 2 if you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Instagram or email us at graveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. Graveyard Slot.